All right, let's go ahead and open our prayers. We get ready for the word. Lord, we just ask you to bless this time. We ask you to give us a great, wonderful celebration of your resurrected power, and we ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is going to be slightly different from uh, my normal Resurrection Sunday messages. We normally have talked about the resurrection, the power, you know, that he died from the, rose from the dead, and all. But today, I want to look a little more at the results of the resurrection in our daily daily life. And we're going to be going through several sections of scripture. We're going to start in Matthew 28, and uh, then we're going to go to uh, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, 1 John 4, 13, and 19, and then Philippians 4, 4 through 7. So, if you can keep up with me, that's good. If not, listen as I read them. Um, so we're going to start with Matthew 28, 1 through 10, which is, it's, is the resurrection story. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, then Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled the stone, back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like the lightning, and his raiment was as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not you, for I know what you, that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goes before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulchre for fear, with fear and great joy, and did, did run to bring the disciples' word. And as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail! And they came and held him by his feet, worshiping him. And then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go to Galilee, and there shall they see me. So this is the story of the resurrection. Before this, Matthew tells us that Jesus had died. All right? We know that he died. How do we know that he died? And this is a fact that we want to keep in mind because some people say, well, Jesus never really died. When they thrust the spirit up into between his ribs and then up toward his heart cavity, the blood had already separated. It flowed with blood and water showing that he was dead. So we know that he was dead. The women went to the, went to the tomb to go take care of the body. Now, this is kind of an interesting, we've talked about this several times. Jesus said to the people, to his disciples, over and over again, I'm going to die. Three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead, and you'll see me again. Well, they were surprised that he died, <laughs> and they're just as surprised when he came back to life. The women were not going to the tomb in hopes of seeing a live person or an empty tomb. It tells us in Luke that they were going with spices and rags to go finish getting the body ready for its permanent place in the, in the tomb. So we think about this, and I, and I made this point in the Sunday school class because I got to teach Sunday school and it was about the same general lesson. It was hard to keep the two separate. <laughs> uh, you know, they went there expecting nothing, even though they had been told great things were coming. How many times do we come to God expecting nothing in spite of what he tells us? He tells us over and over in the word that we have victory. 
we have victory because of the resurrection. Satan, when he put Jesus on the cross, thought he'd had victory. He killed the Son of God. He thought he had victory. He did not realize that the only reason he could kill the Son of God was because the Son of God took all the sin of the world upon him and deserved to die. Because before that, he would not have died because he had not sinned. The wages of sin is death. So Jesus died on the cross because he became sin for us. We sang it in one of our songs. He took all the sin of the world upon himself. Do you realize that when people are sent to hell, it is not because of their sin that they're sent to hell? They're sent to hell because they are not perfect. Jesus paid for the sin. When you stand before God, you have a choice. You can stand before God in your own righteousness, which Isaiah tells us is filthy rags, or you get to stand before God in the righteousness of Christ. And that is the only acceptable clothing to be before God for acceptance. He died so that we could be clothed in righteousness. Now this gives us the idea that we have a great blessing. Jesus is the first fruit of resurrection. He died and came back. Now people will go, well, Lazarus was raised from the dead, and there were several other people that were raised from the dead in the Bible. And yes, there were several people that were raised from the dead. The only problem is every one of them died again. Jesus is the first fruit of one who rose from the dead and never died again. We, as his believers and followers, when we go through the resurrection with him, will go straight from this life into our heavenly life. Paul tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with God. When we leave this body behind, we step right into the presence of God. And one thing we absolutely know for sure that everybody who has ever been alive will die. It's the greatest statistical odds that you can have, you will die. We may be, you know, because I hear people, well, if I die. No, the question isn't if you die, it is when you die. The only way we won't die is if, the, if we're still alive during the rapture and then we'll be taken straight from this life into heaven, which is the equivalency of dying because we get a glorified body quickly anyway. That's the only way we won't physically die is if that happens. But until that point in time, everybody has a 100% chance of dying. Pretty simple. We will die. At one point, we will have to face God. And this is important to us. Are we ready to face God? You know, and this is a question. When, you know, this is a great way sometime to, to witness. If you were to die today, where would you go? And you know, we're in a time when it is easy to get people to think about their mortality because everybody's afraid of catching this disease that a very small percentage of the people catch. But they're all afraid of it and they're afraid that they're going to die even though a very small percentage of those who catch the disease die. But yet, for us as Christians, this is a great time because they are worried about the afterlife. This is an easy time to witness. I'm getting more opportunities to witness to people all over the place because they're afraid of death. We as Christians should not have that fear because if we truly believe what God tells us, the best thing that can happen to us is that we die. All right? Because if we die, we get to be in presence of, of the Father. You know, 
What are we worried about? You know, probably the worst thing that could happen is we actually get sick and have to get stuck at home with nobody to witness to. <laughs> um, but you know, we need to put this in perspective. We have great peace because of the victory of God and the truth of God. You know, we sang two songs this morning about do we believe what God says about us? We as Christians really need to get to the place where we start saying, God, you say this about me. I want to believe it. If you don't know what God says about you and you want to find out, start reading the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2 and start looking at what God says we are in him. There's other verses and other places. We spent 53 weeks going over the 53 things that happened to you at the moment of salvation. But Ephesians has a whole bunch of them, especially in chapter 2. I am sanctified, I am, I am redeemed, I am sealed, I am forgiven, I am loved, I am, you know, all these different things that he gives us, and we need to really start believing what God says about us. Because Satan doesn't want us believing what, he say, what God says about us. Because when we don't believe what God says, we live defeated. We live totally defeated when we don't believe what God says. When God says, I am loved, and I am sealed, and I am forgiven, I need to be able to say, I am loved, I am sealed, and I am forgiven. And if I can start living that way, I've got power. Because there's nothing that can stop me. There's nothing that can stop you if you will really believe what God says about you. Otherwise, you're going to live in defeat. You're going to be worried about everything that comes along. And we need to live in that strength and that power. And this is why I wanted to bring some of the things that, that we can live in and the power that we can live in. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, be under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. In this time of great fear amongst everybody, are we casting our fear on God? And saying, God... I have nothing to fear because you actually care for me. Because care here literally means fear. All the things that burden me down. Do I truly believe that God cares for me and you? you know, and each one of us need to be able to say me in this. Casting all your care, my care. And each one of us should be able to say my care on you. Because if we can cast our cares on him, he has pretty strong shoulders. God controls the entire universe and everything else that might be out there besides our universe, he's in control of. He can take our small cares. You know, I hear people say many times, well, I don't want to bother God with this. It's so small. Well, my question back to people is, what would you, what would you be going through that would be a big problem to God? God is literally holding every atom in the world together because they shouldn't exist without him holding them together. And we want to say, God, my problems are just so big. I've got to wait till I have a big problem before I'm bothering you. And God is saying, cast all. Note the word all. All your cares on him. For he cares for you. He cares for me. And I want you to get in that habit. Put that me in there. 
You know, he cares for me, personalize his word. Now, we heard a pastor this week talking about it, and this is what made me really think about it. He was talking about the 23rd, 23rd Psalm, where David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in, in green pastures. He prepares a banquet place for me. Do we really put ourselves in those verses? When we're seeing the promises of God, are we really putting ourselves in that promise and saying, God, this is, this is me. You're making this not just to the world, not just to the disciples in the first, first century. He is making these promises to us today. If I pass all my cares to him, I have nothing to worry about. If I have nothing to worry about, people see me as being fairly strong because, because I'm not falling apart like they are. And that will generate questions back to you like, why can you be so calm in the middle of all this storm and then you get to tell them all about Jesus? You know, this is the important thing. When we live in fear and terror of everything that's going on, we are telling them we have no strength, we have nothing to hide in, and God is not the answer. Back when I was growing up, we used to sing, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Without him, there is no other. Do we truly believe that he's the answer to our lives? Are we living as if he is the answer to our life, or are we living the way the world lives? Now, that doesn't mean in this virus thing that we go out and we do stupid things and expose ourselves and all these things. But by the same token, we do not go out and live in fear of what we're going through. Because again, the worst thing that can happen is we get sick. And most people get healthy after they get sick, other than about 2% of the people. And believe me, once they find out how many people are sick without, having, without showing signs of the disease, historically that number will go down, probably to less than 1%. Because we're only at about 2.2% as of this morning of people who get sick and die. And when they find out all the other people who are sick that didn't go to the hospitals, they'll find out that it percentage is very low, just as they did with every other virus and epidemic out there. Don't panic with these things. You know, we, the, the infection rate of this super high, high infectious disease is less than 1 100th of a percent, people. A disease that is affecting less than one one hundredth of percent of the population of the world has shut down all of the all of the economy of the world. I don't understand it. I don't understand it from a mathematical sense, and I really don't understand it from a spiritual point of view. It makes no sense to me. We need to live in a way that says God is still in charge. Because I want to tell you one thing: God has not all of a sudden gone to sleep on His throne and, and been surprised by this. <laughs> Okay, he is still in control. He is still knowing what's going on, and he has allowed what's going on to happen. He is not falling asleep. He did not run to the restroom for for half an hour and let everything fall apart. And these, are, if you remember the story, this is Elijah on Mount Carmel talking to the prophets of Baal. Yeah, maybe he maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he went on vacation. Maybe he went to the restroom when he's talking about their God. Our God has not left the throne. He is still in full control. 
Does that mean none of us are going to get sick? Not necessarily. But even at that, he is still in control of whatever comes our way. And we have the opportunity to share Christ with others, even in distress that we might have. Because he is still in control. Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Now, what was the first part of that verse? Humble yourself. <laughs> all right? Now, humbling ourselves is really a hard thing to do for human, human beings. We don't like to humble ourselves. When you're witnessing to people and you tell them how easy it is to get saved, you confess that you're a sinner, you confess that Jesus died for your sins, and you ask them to come in your heart. Well, that's too simple, is what they'll tell you. Well, it's just too simple, except you're just so proud you won't humble your heart to do it. And that humbling part is the hard part. God, I can't do it. I need you. Thank you for your gift. It's really easy. That's why Jesus said we had to become as children who are willing to do something that simple. You tell it to adults. That's why many adults don't get saved is because they will not humble themselves to get saved. They're, going, they're always looking, what can I do? <coughs> Once we humble ourselves, then we can say, God, here, you take this problem. That is when we're being a true child of God and saying, God, it's all yours. <laughs> it's all yours because I don't want to deal with it. And if you think about that, sometimes our kids would do that to us. I don't want to do this, Mom and Dad. Here, you, take, you help me. When they finally humble themselves to come to us for help. And God is saying, are you going to humble yourself and come to me as your Father who's loving us and ready for us on this? We're going to look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 through 19. Whereby know we that we dwell in him and that he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that, that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath given to us. God is love, and he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. Wherein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear hath torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. This is very interesting. As Christians, as believers... We are in God, and God is in us. This is where our power comes from. He indwells us. And it says that we become as Christ. What does that mean? Resurrected alive. You know, it's kind of interesting because we've been talking about Genesis. When Adam and Eve sinned, they died spiritually. Every one of their children is born dead spiritually. This is why Jesus told Nicodemus, ye must be born again. Why? Because we needed a spirit to be made alive. Because we were created to be three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And when, man, when Adam and Eve sinned, we were born body and soul with a dead spirit. And God says, I want to come in and give you your spirit. Why do people feel incomplete without Christ? Because they are. They're missing a living spirit in their body. 
And when God comes into our life, he says, here, I'm going to revive your spirit. I'm going to make you spirit. I'm going to make you whole. And now he comes in, he indwells us with love, and he says that perfect love casts out all fear. Because he lives in us, we do not have to fear anything. God is absolutely sovereign. He is in control. He lives in me. I know that I have nothing to fear of eternity because when I stand before him, I'm standing in Christ and him, clothed in Christ's righteousness to be accepted into heaven for eternity where he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he will take a look at our life and see how many things that he do through us and give us rewards for those. Yeah. And I shared with you, I love God's plan because man's plan is always to find somebody else to do the work and you get the reward. Doesn't work well on this world. Because nobody wants to work for you so that you get the reward. But do you realize in heaven, the reward we have for eternity is what God did for us and what we allowed him to do through us? And he says, okay, I did all the work and now you get the reward. Satan is such a liar. He counterfeits everything that God does. God's plan is to reward us for his work and Satan tells us, well, let's, let's really try to get you to do this on earth. And all that does is make people get mad at you. <laughs> you know, you're, you're using them. And God's saying, I want to be used by you. Just let me work through you. Perfect love casts out fear. You know, people are looking for fearlessness in life, not, not stupidity. You know, a lot of times we get all these people who say they're fearless, and what they're doing is doing death-defying stunts and everything. Most of them still aren't fearless. They're just pushing the edges to try to get an adrenaline rush. You know, let me get to as close to the cliff as possible. Let me, crawl, you know, let me ride my bike up this ramp and across this or whatever, whatever it is they're trying to do and, and try to push the, push the edge. But bottom line, I know that the ones that I've talked to, they're really afraid of death. They're afraid of injury. They're afraid of death, but they're trying to push to the edge. God says we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear in this life. Why? Again, he's in charge. <laughs> he's in charge. The safest place for us to be is doing what God told us to do. All right? Now, the thing about this is he already knows when we're not going to be obedient to, so we're still in a safe place. <laughs> because as has been said by many people, until God is ready to take me home, I'm not going home. Now, I may have some serious consequences for being stupid. Now, just because I don't go home doesn't mean that I can't be in the hospital in a full body cast with all kinds of arms and, and leg casts. You know, I could still have a lot of pain involved with being stupid. But until God says it's time to come home, I'm not going home. Once he says it's time to come home, it doesn't matter what I'm doing or how safe I am, I'm going home. Just have faith that God is in full charge. And again, that's not saying go out and do dumb things just because God's not going to take me home because there are consequences. As I said, you could still end up in the hospital on a body cast and be in pain for a long time. All right? Just because he doesn't take you home doesn't mean that there won't be consequences. So love, he indwells us. He fills us with his absolute presence. And we get all of God in us. You know, we get God's mercy, his forgiveness, his grace, his love, his peace, 
and all of that that comes in because he lives in us. We also get his other attributes, his hatred for sin, his desire to see it judged. We don't get him to the same degree that he has, but have you lived long enough to have God change you to the place where you start to hate things that you never used to dislike? Where you go, wow, I really don't even, I don't even want to do it. Name your sin in there, whatever it is that God has convicted you of. You know, I don't even want to think about it. And you know, ultimately that's where we want to get, where our minds are so changed by God's word and his truth that we no longer are even wanting to think about sin. We start out by just trying to be obedient. Okay, God, I really want to do this, but I'm not going to do it, even though I want to do it. And God says, well, that's better than nothing. But you know, ultimately our desire should be that I do not even want to think about this sin. I was watching one of the Christian movies and I was watching their commentary. It was about abortion and the person said they did not want to make abortion illegal. They wanted to make it unthinkable. What a difference in mindset. We need to get to that place with all sin in our life. You know, not that God says it's wrong, which it is, but God, I want to be so like you. I want to be so much thinking like you that I don't even want to think about that activity. What a change in our life would, that would make. Instead of just following out of obedience, which is good, it's better than, better than disobedience, and, you know, and it is true. Jesus raised the level of disobedience to thoughts. He goes, if you think a lustful thought, if you think about being angry with a brother, you've committed murder. You know, now, the consequences are very different between thinking and acting. So don't go out and say, well, if I've already done it, I might as well go do it. No. The consequences are very different between the thought and the actual doing. But the point is that God says that just the thought of it is sin. We need to get to the place where we are agreeing with God and going, God, I don't even want to think the unthinkable. Help me to not think about these sinful activities. God's standard is high. When you're first saved, you're just happy to get rid of the actions in most cases. As you walk with God longer and longer, he starts saying, let's make this unthinkable. Let's make this that you are just sick even with the thought of it, or you see it in the world and it makes you sick. Perfect love casts out fear because we have nothing to fear because he indwells us. And then the last verse I want to look in is in Philippians 4. Starting at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. I'm going to stop there for just a moment because this is the prerequisites to the last part that I'm going to read. We rejoice. We give to him our, our desires. We give to him. And then verse three, 7. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. How do we have the peace that passes understanding? We worship God. We give him thanks for what's going on. We give him trust for who we are. We give him trust for what he is doing. And because our peace is in him, our peace that we don't understand isn't in the circumstances. Because if we look at the circumstances we're going through, 
we're going to get pretty miserable most of the time. You know, God has a promise to us. For all things work together for the, the good for those who are called according to his purpose. My standard for everything is it doesn't matter what I'm going through, God is still in charge. And if he's still in charge, I can give thanks to him for being in charge. Now, he's not saying be thankful for the bad things that happen to you. If you're being thankful for the bad things and for the pain that you're going through, there's something else possibly wrong with you. Okay? But he says be thankful. Now, if you're being thankful because you know God is going to work it out for good, that's good. No matter what he sends our way, he's going to turn it for good. Now, I've said this over and over most people want to add an extra word to that, to that verse. And it's a very important word not to add. Most people want to say all things work together for my good. Don't add my in there because God says it is for good. All right? Now, ultimately, it's for my good. When I get to heaven, he's going to reward me for anything that I went through. So ultimately, yes, it's for my good. He's going to say you went through it, you did well, you grew through it. But on this earth, not everything we go through is from our good. If you're sick in the hospital for eight months, racking up a huge bill on your deathbed, there's probably not much good in that for you. But let's say you go through that and you're witnessing to people about the love of God. And they're seeing your strength as you're going through that. You're going through that pain how many people might come to God because you were consistent? Don't know. When we go through hard times as Christians and we have our faith in God and we go through those hard times in peace with his love, casting all our care upon him, the world looks at us and the first part they think is this person's nuts. And that's good because we are. We are a peculiar people. Before the, before the world, they look at us and say, I don't understand how you people can trust in God when all these bad things happen to you. Then they start looking at us and they find out that it's real, that we have a faith and a peace in God. And then they say, I want to know more about that peace. I want to know more about this God that allows you to be peaceful in all the bad stuff that's happening. Then we need to be ready to open our mouth and share the gospel with them. Because he is the resurrection. Jesus, when he was at the, the tomb side of Lazarus, told Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. They, that was before he died. That was before he was resurrected. But he goes, I am the resurrection. Why? Because he's God. He was already living in the mindset of beyond time. He goes, I am going to rise. Because I'm going to rise, I am, even currently, the resurrection. Understand that there's nothing that's going to happen to us that God does not already know about. All right? He already knows the beginning from the end. He stands above time and looks down on time, knows all the decisions we're going to make, the good ones and the bad ones, he knows exactly the consequences that are going to fall upon us for the good and the bad decisions and has a plan in place for them. When we, are, when we fail him, he already knows we're going to fail. He gives us a chance to be obedient and allows us to fail and then sends that chance to be obedient to somebody else. 
So when he knows that I'm not going to do what he tells me to do, he tells somebody else behind me to do, the, do what I was supposed to do, and they'll get the job done. Or if they don't, he'll tell the next person in line, get it done. But do you realize that there are things that only you are best qualified to do? Each one of us have certain things that we are the best qualified person to do. Certain people that we have just the right experiences to be able to talk to them and say, and, and be able to be able to communicate with them in just the right way. Doesn't matter where you are with God. If you're a follower of God and you have victory and you have any victory at all, you've got experiences that will be just right for certain people. And I've shared with you, because I grew up as a Christian and didn't get into alcohol and drugs and all these things, I had plenty of other sins. It's hard for me to be able to minister to people that have been into drugs and alcohol. Not because I don't know what it means to fall to sin. They won't accept me because I don't have the same experience they do. One thing I have learned over 38 years, or 48 years though, is all sin is sin. The same exact problem. I'm not going to get victory until I recognize it's a sin. And it takes the same skill set to get out of any sin. So I can minister to anybody who will let me minister to them. But they're not most, a lot of people won't let me minister to them. Which means there are many in this room that can be able to minister to those people that have had drug and alcohol problems because you've been there. You know that God is the answer in that area. So can I minister to them? Yes, I can if they'll allow me. <coughs> but you're, many of you are better qualified and better able to help them because they'll listen to you. Then you can pass them on to be taught. <laughs> You know, but we come down to this. Each one of us has a plan given to us by God if we're willing to listen and be obedient. He already knows whether you're going to be obedient or not. You know, and I've already told you, I'm very kind of dense in the head. Usually I think about what I was supposed to talk to somebody about about three hours after I've done, done, been with the conversation with them. And I go, oh, I should have said this. I should have done that. But you know, the, mo the key point though is open your mouth and let God fill your words. Because it is amazing when you start talking to people about God and the Holy Spirit starts taking over and all of a sudden you realize you're saying things that you didn't know, that you're not smart enough to know. <laughs> you're saying things that you're not, you're not eloquent enough to get said and they're coming out fine. So our challenge today, live in the resurrection power that is ours. The resurrection life that is ours. The peace and the calmness that is ours. God living in us who gives us the ability to go forward. Never listen to the lies of Satan about your, about your life. Because you know, all the time Satan will come in and say, well, you're just so bad. If people knew how bad you were, nobody would ever listen to you. The amazing thing is, that, you know, I've had so many people come up and they've said that story in their testimony and they're amazed when they finally get enough courage to share their testimony with people that people come up and go, I thought I was the only one. I really needed you to hear this. Other people have gone through this. That is in Corinthians. They have no temptation overtaken you, but such is a common to man. All right? Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. All right? There is no new temptations. There are no new things that, no, no new things that nobody else has ever gone through. And even in this room, if you were to share, and we don't need to start right now, but if you start sharing what you're going through, other people are going to say, I've got the same problem. Let's, let's help each other. 
Because God knows that there's nothing new. Satan wants us to keep it in the dark. Because when it's kept in the dark, it has power over us. If I'm believing that I'm the only one that has this problem, and I don't want to share it because other people will think I'm really bad because of my problems, Satan has victory. There is nothing new. No temptation that is new. No challenge that is new. People have them, have had them, will have them, and are having them right now. You are not an isolated case out there with something hitting you so bad that you, that you are awful and terrible and nobody else is out there. Turn to God. Turn to some friend, Christian friend and get help. We all need people to hold us accountable when we do something wrong. We all do, myself included. I need people to say, this is, I'm not seeing you doing the right things. We all have to be in that place that God lives in us to give us strength. And he doesn't have lone rangers. That is why he says that we are to assemble ourselves together. My biggest concern with this whole epidemic and shutting down churches is there are going to be a lot of people who decide they don't have to assemble anymore. That listening online is good. And yes, listening online is good, but we need each other. We need the body of Christ to hold us accountable. We need the body of Christ to share with one another what we're going through and the victories and the failures with one another for encouragement. I'm going to challenge everybody listening, do not forget the assembling of yourself together as soon as you're able to do so. We're going to keep assembling. That's just the way it is, but, you know, because we're going to trust God. Amen. We're going to trust God and go forward. But we're also going to say we're going to keep doing this, and if, we, if they end up barring our doors, then we'll do it online just like we have to, but we're going to keep going forward with God and when this time gets end, we need to all get back together, especially talking to those on, on, that are listening to us online. We all need to get back together because we need the assembling together. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for each person that's here. Lord, give us a taste of your victory. Give us a taste of your, your love. Lord, if there's anybody listening that doesn't know you, we ask that they turn their life, they humble themselves today and admit that they're a sinner and ask you to come into their heart and live inside them. Lord, for each one of us, help us to live in your victory, in your, in your truth, and in your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you, and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says... The penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us, so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. 
I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.